Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. I'm Alex Ewell. Welcome to the Readback. I'm really not that old, but a lot has changed since I first learned to drive in the mid-1990s. I took my driver's test in a 1993 Grand Cherokee. It was arguably the first mainstream SUV. A truck that was made to drive like a car. But looking back, what really strikes me is how much the car was missing. There was just one airbag, and this was long before the days of touchscreens or any screens on the dashboard. I learned to back up by turning my head as far as possible while stretching my arm across the passenger headrest. That behavior is now obsolete. My pilot has a backup camera that makes the rear view stretch unnecessary. Some 20 years after I learned to drive, Congress passed a law that made those backup cameras mandatory. It seems like an obvious move, but it was anything but. And it probably wouldn't have happened without Ralph Nader. While we mostly now think about Ralph Nader for his role in the 2000 election, his career has been defined by consumer advocacy, in large part around automotive safety. In 1965, Nader published Unsafe at Any Speed, which exposed how most American cars were far less safe to drive than they appeared. There are remedies in law, and that there will be increasingly remedies of law if they can require their political representatives to pass the laws that will at least open the doors to the courtroom in a practical and expeditious fashion. The book was a bestseller, and a year later, Congress held a series of hearings that led to the creation of the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. NHTSA, as it's known, writes safety policies and also investigates potential automotive safety issues. Although one can allocate responsibility on the shoulders of institutions that certainly know better, should know better, and should be less callous and indifferent, uh, the fact is that when a situation deteriorates to the state that it has, uh, the main responsibility in terms of pulling uh, the country up by its own bootstraps has got to be on the shoulders of people. And the greater the number of people, the better. Then, in 1970, Nader founded a consumer safety advocacy group dedicated to the issue, the Center for Auto Safety. Center for Auto Safety was founded in 1970 to be a standalone organization focused on advocating for consumers when it comes to their vehicles. And so that's meant consumer rights over the years, whether you're talking about lemon laws or the opportunity to make sure your vehicle is recalled and that repair is paid for by the manufacturer. Or when we talk about safety and making the vehicles safer themselves, particularly when they crash and ideally finding ways to make sure they don't crash. That's Jason Levine, the current executive director of the Center for Auto Safety. He says a lot has changed over the 51 years the group has been in existence. So in the beginning, we were just talking about airbags and seatbelts. And, you know, now we're talking about self-driving technology. Self-driving is pitched as cutting edge, and it is. But to the safety critics, the features are really no different than everything that's come before, from seatbelts to airbags to anti-locking brakes. 
And while all of those have made a measurable difference, car fatality rates are still too high for any of us to accept. The number one killer of Americans under the age of 25 are vehicle crashes. We're over 40,000 crash deaths a year, and those numbers are stubbornly not decreasing, and in fact have been increasing. We're looking at a potential 18% increase in vehicle crash deaths this year. So it's certainly important that we take advantage of all of the potential tools that can help diminish, mitigate, and ideally eliminate these crash deaths. If you've been listening to our podcast for a while, we've talked a lot about new features that could help with safety, like blindside monitors, automatic braking, even lane keeping assist. These are things that could make cars safer and further reduce accidents and fatalities. But there's an important distinction to make. Unlike seatbelts, airbags, and backup cameras, none of these features are required yet. And that makes the current self-driving technology mostly marketing. It's more about selling cars than saving lives. Historically, the auto industry has needed a push from the government to make safety features standard on cars. And those government mandates have never been easy to secure. Can you give us any historical sense with like airbags, how long that process took kind of from beginning to end? Yeah, I mean, I'll give you a more recent example, which is the backup camera in your car. Right. right. Um, Unfortunately, that took 10 years. A decade. That's an eternity. Consider that it took just eight years to fulfill President Kennedy's promise to land a man on the moon. So why did this take so long? In the age of the smartphone, backup cameras aren't exactly a technological feat. It took 10 years for a variety of reasons, some of which are sort of standard playbook and apply to pretty much any safety innovation when dealing with the auto industry, which is a tremendous pushback from industry on the difficulty of success in terms of implementing new technology, how costly it would be to implement this technology. So let me just ask a question because As we've done interviews for the podcast and as you read about self-driving features, the industry can't stop talking about how great autonomous driving will be for the future of keeping people safe. And yet when pushed to regulate them around those areas, they say, well, it's too expensive and can't be done to improve safety. So like, is there, (laughs) it seems, that seems a little off. It doesn't seem off. It seems absurd to anyone you'd explain it to. And anyone who bothers to read what comes out of their press release statements versus what comes out of their lobbyists. For those who track the industry, it is sad and depressing, but entirely predictable that with one hand, they want to say how amazing self-driving technology is going to be and how it's all about safety. And on the other hand, how impossible even the fundamental building blocks of what would eventually become self-driving technology and related vehicles, whether we're talking about automatic emergency braking or lane departure or just data gathering is just next to impossible and will bankrupt them. And so it is par for the course, but yeah, it, it is hypocrisy at a level that is hard to wrap one's head around. Let's give the car makers the benefit of the doubt. Nobody likes being told what to do. And carmakers can tout a long history of safety improvements, whether they were forced into them or not. But these are corporations, and they really have just one motivating factor, profits for shareholders. 
there is a historical record of bitter regulatory bureaucratic fighting from the industry about the costs of safety technology and how impossible it will be to get this technology into new cars without driving up the cost by, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, where at the end of the day, often it is hundreds, if not, you know, double digit, if not single digits, when we talk about certain safety technology. And that's the reason why someone else needs to get involved. It might be controversial to say, but regulation plays an important role, even in a free market. Unfortunately, in the case of the auto industry, the regulators have a mixed record. Unfortunately, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration has historically been a very slow-to-act agency in terms of pushing forth regulations because it has historically been an underfunded agency that has been faced with a lot of external pressure. And then even once the rule was completed and finished and everyone agreed upon it, there is a lag time to allow manufacturers to make sure that their new production line will have it. Production lines for autos take up to five years. And so, you know, even if you mandated something today, it might take three to four to five years to get into every new vehicle. But so it's a combination of a lot of bad historical factors. But the number one obstacle was the industry saying it was impossible to do this. And meanwhile, now everyone has it and wouldn't think of buying a new car without it. Jason says NHTSA could be doing more. It did not need a congressional mandate to move forward on some of this. In fact, the Center for Auto Safety, along with some other organizations, petitioned NHTSA to mandate automatic emergency braking and write a performance standard. We did that in 2015. And yet here we are in 2021, almost 2022. And there's a lot of, well, the industry is working on it. And there's some voluntary agreements that the industry is going to put it on new cars, but there's no performance standard. And when it comes to self-driving, it's the lack of standards that helps to explain all the current confusion around self-driving. It's why Tesla can call its limited automated features full self-driving. It's why Car and Driver was able to find such vast differences among today's autonomous technology. Historically, standards are what help keep cars safe no matter what model you buy. There's a big caveat there, which is not all systems are created equally. At the moment, because there are few, if any, regulations associated with these technologies, there's no minimum standard associated with it. So while many manufacturers are selling vehicles, they don't all mean the same thing, they don't all perform the same way, and they don't all necessarily perform well at all. And that's obviously problematic. But conceptually, and in test circumstances, and certain manufacturers, technology in certain circumstances, can prevent and mitigate crashes and save lives. So the real crux of the question at the moment is not whether there should be things like advanced driver assist systems, it's how can we get them to function as well as possible and how can we get them into as many vehicles as possible to save as many lives as possible. That responsibility should fall to NHTSA. The agency declined to speak to us for this podcast. The average consumer walking into a showroom or pulling it up on their computer these days is going to be faced with a whole host of different terminology for different technology, and it's almost impossible to compare or be sure that it's even going to behave as advertised. 
And that is squarely, you know, on the shoulders of NHTSA, you know, with a definite sidecar that the industry likes it the way it is. Thanks to other regulations, that's not the case for fuel mileage, warranty information, cost breakdowns, and manufacturing info, all of which are clearly laid out on that new car sticker in dealer lots. Want self-driving specs? You'll have to take the dealer's word for it. As we talked about a few episodes ago, it's really the Wild West when it comes to all this stuff. Without specific standards, we're all left wondering what's actually legal on today's streets. I've been working on this podcast for months now, but I realized I still had one basic but really big question. Do we know today whether a car on the road without a steering wheel would be legal, whether you know in a specific state or just across the country? Uh, we do know that today, and the answer is no. It, it would not be legal to sell. You could have it as a test vehicle, okay, but you could not sell that vehicle today because currently the rules for motor vehicles include a certain series of tests, as you might imagine. Some of those tests involve steering and braking, and the way those tests are performed is with steering wheels and brake pedals because you have a human driver now. With that said, there has been some talk of changing those regulations specifically to allow for vehicles without steering wheels and without brakes and coming up with new tests to verify that the vehicle performs as well, if not better than the vehicle with steering wheels and brakes. And that's sort of an interesting both technical and philosophical and policy question. But as of today, those rules have not been changed. Okay, so we still need a steering wheel. But as we know, there's huge room for interpretation. And until regulators get more active, that's not going to change. Remember those car and driver tests we talked about a few weeks ago? Dave Vanderwerp jumped out of the driver's seat and the car kept going. I brought that up with Jason Levine. Shouldn't it have to know that a driver is in that seat? And why isn't there a sensor in the driver's seat similar to the one that's in the passenger seat? Yeah. So the short answer is yes, it should know that you're in the driver's seat. We saw consumer reports demonstrate this also with Tesla. And at the time there was a lot of complaining like, well, you can do the same thing in GM supercruise. And the answer is yes, you can, and you shouldn't be able to. The reason that the sensor isn't there is the sensor costs money. And up until this technology came along, no one was worried about a car moving without a driver in it. But now that we're here, We have the technology. There's literally no reason that that technology can't also be built into the driver's seat. But it might take 10 years to actually make it happen. A mandate might take a lot longer than some, you know, the industry simply doing it. One would imagine it would be part of what is of loosely called driver monitoring systems, which should go to all sorts of different pieces of how we try and ensure drivers are literally in the driver's seat, are looking at the road, have their hands in the steering wheel. These are pieces of a larger puzzle, which should well include making sure someone is actually driving the car while they're in it. This isn't going to be an easy fix. As we said early in our podcast, Everything is still up for debate, and it will be up to all of us to opt in for the ride. And that includes not just drivers, but regulators, lawmakers, and car companies themselves. 
what we really need is one big law. Call it the Self-Driving Act of 2022. Next time on the season finale of The Readback. Thanks for listening to The Readback. If you're a new listener, welcome. If you've been listening for a while, we're glad to have you back. Either way, we'd love to know what you think of the show. Please leave a review if you listen on Apple Podcasts. Reviews make it easier for others to find the show. You can also email us at thereadbackatbarons.com. Thanks to Jason Levine. For more coverage on self-driving, you can check out barons.com. I'm Alex Yule. The Readback is produced by Katie Ferguson. Melissa Haggerty is our executive producer. Additional thanks to Meta Lutzhoft and Jackson Cantrell. Next week on the show, what we think the future of self-driving should look like. All the attention is around, you know, the magical Jetsons mobile. And you know, that's not where we live. You know, we don't live in cartoon land in the future. We live here in the present. Uh, and right now, there's technology that could save a lot of lives if we just get it into cars. We'll be back next week. <laughs>